0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Katie. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series Jesus Is. We will be looking at the 7 I Am statements that Jesus made. Here's Pastor Nick
1: All right, so let's. uh, We're in our series right now looking at the seven I am statements. The Gospel of John is structured around seven I am statements that Jesus made and seven signs that Jesus performed, which all show us who he is and what he came to do. So, in our current series, we're looking at the seven I am statements. In the next series, we'll do right after Easter, we'll be looking at the seven signs listed in the Gospel of John that Jesus performed to tell us who he is. So please bow your heads with me, and let's pray as we open God's Word today. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Thank you, Lord, for your loving care for us. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us as orphans, but Lord, you, you have given us your Spirit to lead us and guide us. You've given us your Word to transform us. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, as we hear your Word, may we not just understand what it says, but may we apply it to our lives and allow it to have its power transforming us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I took my family to Stonehenge. See, because where I went to school for my undergrad in the west of England was really close to where Stonehenge is located, so I thought it'd be fun to take our kids out to see Stonehenge. So we rented a car, we drove down there, but when we arrived, what we discovered is that although Stonehenge is free, you don't have to pay for it, it's out in a field, yet they've kind of arranged the area, they've even done landscaping and all these things to make it blocked off so that you have to pay to take this bus to go out and see it. Well, I don't like paying for things, and so I thought, you know, we'll just walk. Well, the closest you can get by car is about a mile and a half from Stonehenge, right? They try and get you to pay for all this stuff. So I'm like, we're not paying, we're walking. Rosemary's like, you know, we had an infant at the time. Rosemary's like, I'm not walking. So she stayed at the car. So I got the other kids and I'm like, all right, kids, let's go. We're going to walk and see Stonehenge. And so we're walking, you know, we have to walk over this hill. That's why you can't see it. You got to walk over this hill to see it. And it's like a mile and a half. The kids are complaining, they're getting tired, you know, telling me they need water, they're going to die. And then we finally get over the hill, and there's Stonehenge. And I say, kids, look, here we are. This is a World Heritage site. Nobody knows how they did this or why they did it. Isn't it amazing? And the kids looked at it and said, oh, yeah. Cool rocks. Hey, look, there's some sheep. And so then they saw these sheep. And so for the next hour, these same kids who are apparently about to die from walking, for an hour, they just spent an hour running after sheep and chasing them through the field. And later on I asked them, you know, what was the best part of our trip to England? They said, Stonehenge, but not not the rocks, but the part where we chased the sheep. That was the best thing that happened in England. I guess that's a lot of fun. So sheep are talked about over 300 times in the Bible. That's more than any other animal. And throughout the Bible, we as human beings are compared to sheep, whereas the Bible tells us that God is like a shepherd. And I think for many of us, right, when we hear that we are sheep and God is a shepherd, doesn't that just feel you, fill you with these warm, fuzzy feelings? Well, if it does, then you haven't understood what it means that you're being called a sheep. Because here's the thing. When the Bible says that you are like a sheep, It's not meant to be a compliment. You see, when the Bible says that you're like a sheep, it is a well-intentioned and gentle insult, actually. Because a sheep is not a very clever animal. If you've ever been around sheep, they're about as sharp as a basketball. So the thing about sheep is... On the one hand, they have this natural tendency to stray and run away from the shepherd, the one who's caring for them. But on the other hand, they're completely dependent on the shepherd for everything. So most animals, like a horse or a dog, if they don't have an owner or a trainer, they go wild. But a sheep without a shepherd dies. Because sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd for absolutely everything, for their safety, for their protection. They have no natural defenses. They're not even good at running away. They, they depend on the shepherd for everything, for food and for sustenance. And that's why the worst thing that a sheep can do is to run away from its shepherd. And yet, that is what sheep, by nature, constantly do. And that, God is saying, is what... We are like as people. That's a good picture of us. That's why there are verses like Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. It says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. In Psalm 119, the writer says, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and search for me and find me. You see, sheep need a shepherd to protect them, to feed them, and to rescue them. And so when the Bible says that we are like sheep and God is like a shepherd, that's telling us both a lot about us and who we are and our nature as people. But it's also telling us a lot about God and who he is and what he does and what he's like. And that's why it's so meaningful that as his fourth I am statement in the Gospel of John, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. The title of today's message is Jesus is the good shepherd. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that as the Good Shepherd, Jesus personally knows and lovingly serves those who are in his flock. So that's our summary statement, summary sentence, take away truth. Write it down in your notes, in the margin of your Bible, and that'll also serve as our outline for studying this passage today. But hopefully just that thought as we repeat it and go through it in our study today, it'll help it to stick in your mind this week as you go from here. So as the good shepherd, Jesus personally knows and lovingly serves those who are in his flock. Let's look at the first part of that. The good shepherd. In the gospel of John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, we are picking up in the middle of a conversation which began at the beginning of of this chapter, John chapter 10, which we looked at last week. So last week in our study, we were looking at the third of Jesus' I am statements, where Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. That conversation began at the beginning of chapter 10, and now we're jumping in where we left off last week in verse 11, looking at the next I am statement, I am the good shepherd. Now the context for this conversation is found in the previous chapter, in chapter nine of the gospel of John, where Jesus healed a man who was born blind. Now, that would be a good thing, right? We would think, who wouldn't be excited about that? But there was one group of people who did not think that was a good thing, that Jesus had healed this man. That group was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very highly respected, very influential at this time in Israel. They were the social and religious conservatives of that day, and they saw it as their job and as their duty to hold back the floodgates of liberalism, which threatened Judaism and which threatened... Their culture. The problem was that oftentimes in doing that, right, they created barriers which God did not set up in in their attempts to do this thing, which was perhaps a righteous desire. They oftentimes misrepresented the heart of God. They acted as if they were the gatekeepers of Judaism, like they got to say who's in and who's out. But sometimes they set the boundaries in the wrong places. And Jesus was very quick to point that out to the people, right? He was, Quick to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, to point out when they were doing things which were not actually according to God's heart. And for that reason, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they saw Jesus as a threat to their power, their influence, and their authority. And so when this man started going around and telling everybody that Jesus had healed him of his blindness, well, that made them upset. And so they told this man, hey, you better stop talking about Jesus in such a positive way. And if you don't stop talking, talking about Jesus like this, that we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. Now, kicking him out of the synagogue was just basically a a way of saying they were going to excommunicate him from Judaism as a whole. But this man said, wait wait, wait a second, what do you mean stop talking about what Jesus did for me? I was blind for my entire life, and then Jesus healed me. How can I not talk about that? And so the Pharisees said, fine, if you're going to not stop talking about it, then we're gonna kick you out. So it says there in John nine thirty four that they cast him out, which means they excommunicated him. They kicked him out of Judaism. Now this was really the ultimate punishment for a Jew at that time, because it had religious implications and it had social implications in their minds, to be kicked out of Judaism meant that you were not just cut off from the community, but you were actually considered to be cut off from God. Right? That's the context for this conversation. This man's been healed of blindness. He's talked about it. He was threatened with being kicked out. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, have actually excommunicated him from Judaism, and it says that Jesus went and found him after this had happened and spoke with him. That's the context for this conversation. Around this, as Jesus is talking to this man, imagine his disciples are standing there listening. There are also some of the Pharisees who are standing around and hearing what Jesus is saying. And we pick up the conversation in verse 11, where Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. Now, when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, what you need to understand is that he is making a contrast between himself and the religious leaders of that time. Jesus is making a contrast between himself and the religious leaders of that time. What Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of Israel are bad shepherds. They're bad shepherds, and in contrast to them, he is the good shepherd. Now again, remember the setting. The Pharisees just excommunicated this guy because he told the truth and said that Jesus healed him. Now why would they do that?
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefield Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. Join us this Christmas season at Whitefield's Church in Longmont. On Christmas Eve, we are having two services at 4 and 5.30 p.m. And we are having a service on Christmas morning at 9.15. For the month of December, join us on Sunday mornings as we remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus with a series of messages called... One of Us, in which we will be looking at how, in Jesus, God became one of us to reveal himself to us and redeem us. We are located at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont, just west of I-25 on Highway 119. Invite a friend and join us this Advent season at Whitefields Church in Longmont, including Christmas Eve at 4 and 5.30 p.m., and Christmas morning at 9.15 a.m. For directions and more information, visit our website at whitefieldschurch.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: Obviously, it wasn't because they were concerned about the truth. If they were concerned about the truth, they would have looked into the details, listened to the testimony of even this man's parents who said, yes, he was blind his whole life. The testimony of other people who had seen him sitting on the side of the road begging because he was blind and he couldn't work. Obviously, this was not because of a concern for the truth. Clearly, it was not at all a concern for this man. Obviously, they did this because they were concerned about shoring up and protecting their own power, influence, and authority in that society. And Jesus is saying, these people, they have set themselves up as shepherds of the people, but they are bad shepherds. They're bad shepherds. Throughout the Bible, spiritual leaders are referred to as shepherds. You see this in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're introduced to the term pastor, which we still use today. And the word pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherds. So throughout the Bible, shepherds, or spiritual leaders, are referred to as shepherds. Now, spiritual leaders, in other words, are called to care for the souls of people in the ways that a shepherd cares for sheep. But even in Israel's own history, many of those who were called shepherds of God's people were often Bad shepherds. They didn't do a good job as shepherds. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and in Ezekiel chapter 34, God speaks out against the bad shepherds of his people. And he promises then to send them the Messiah to be the good shepherd. So here we see in Jeremiah 23, let me just read to you the first few verses. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them far away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. The bad spiritual leaders of Israel What were they doing? They were actually, rather than leading people in God's ways, rather than drawing people to God, Jeremiah tells us that they were actually driving people away from God. Now, isn't that still the case even today? There are people who are bad leaders spiritually, and what is the effect? They drive people not just away from church, but even away from God. You know, Barna Research did a study a few years ago. They did a big survey in which they asked people who identify as non-religious. So people who identify as non-religious, they asked them, why do you reject Christianity? And here's what they found is so interesting. They said that in their poll, in their study, most people— who reject Christianity and call themselves non-religious, they do not do so because of a lack of evidence, right? They don't say, well, there's just not enough evidence to believe, right? Scientifically or historically or whatever. That isn't the main reason that people give for rejecting Christianity. No, actually what they found is that the main reason why people said that they reject Christianity was not because of evidence, but because of personal experiences being hurt by Christian people or, or because they had a bad experience with a Christian leader. Just like in the time of Jeremiah, there are people today who are bad shepherds. And sadly, bad shepherds have this effect. They, they tend to drive people away from God. And maybe there are some of you here today, you know, you've been hurt by bad shepherds, Christian leaders who didn't represent the heart of Jesus. Maybe they were harsh or unkind. Maybe they hurt you or sinned against you in some way. And if that's you, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's happened to you. And I would also tell you this. I would want you to look at this passage here in Jeremiah 23 and see how God feels about that. Because it's important to see this. What God is saying here in Jeremiah 23 is he says when it comes to bad shepherds, he's not okay with it. He's not okay with them misrepresenting his heart. He's not okay with them hurting his sheep. He says these people are supposed to be shepherds, but they're doing a bad job. They're misleading people, misrepresenting his heart and hurting his sheep. And he says, I will deal with those people. And yet the next thing God says in this passage is this in verse five, he says, behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So after speaking out against the bad shepherds, God promises to one day send a good shepherd to the people who will truly represent his heart, who will lead his people in the right way. And he tells these people, listen, rather than allowing the bad shepherds to drive you away from me, I want you to fix your attention and set your hopes on the good shepherd who I'm going to send, the Messiah. Now throughout the Bible, from the very moment that sin entered into the human story and into the world, God promised that he would send a person. A person who would save us from the curse of sin and death. That Savior was called the Messiah. And over the course of time, God revealed more and more, kind of like creating a trail of breadcrumbs, if you will, right? Dropping a crumb here, dropping a crumb there, leading us to this Messiah. And he would give us more and more revelation about who this Messiah would be. He would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be a king. Not just any king, he would be a king as the heir of the throne of David. He would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born of a virgin. He would heal the blind, the sick, the lepers, and the lame, he would suffer and he would die for the sins of the people, and somehow he would actually live forever. And what God tells us here through the prophet Jeremiah is that when this Messiah comes, this is who he will be he will be the good shepherd. Unlike the corrupt, self seeking spiritual leaders who drive people away from God by their actions, the Messiah will represent the heart of God. Accurately and truly, he will lead people in God's ways righteously. You see, by calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, the one promised in Jeremiah chapter 23. And he's saying that the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of his day, they were bad shepherds, just like the spiritual leaders in Jeremiah's day. But now, in him, Jesus is saying, God has finally sent the good shepherd, the Messiah, to his people, and they should follow him. But you know what else? That's not the only thing that Jesus was saying by calling himself the good shepherd. Here's why. In Ezekiel chapter 34, in the book of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesies against, similar to Jeremiah, he prophesies against the bad shepherds of God's people. But here's the difference. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God says that not only will he send a good shepherd, but that he himself will come to his people to be the good shepherd for them. You see, by calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus wasn't only saying that he is the Messiah. He was also claiming to be God, come to his people to care for them and to save them. And how would he save them? Well, Jesus says there in the second part of verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, This is different from the attitude of others. Look at what he says in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. You know, any of you who've had a job or owned a business, you know that there's a difference, right, between the mentality of an employee versus the mentality of an owner, right? An employee's there to do their job and get their paycheck and then get out of there. But an owner has a vested interest. They care a lot more than the employees do because they're invested in a very different way. And what Jesus is saying here is this, that because he is God— He actually cares about people more than the Pharisees do because he created those people. The Bible says that God knit you together in love in your mother's womb, that he knows more about you than you even know about yourself. So unlike the bad shepherds of Israel, Jesus has a personal vested interest in you because he created you, because he sustains your life from moment to moment. So rather than standing by idly or stepping aside and allowing you to be attacked and ultimately destroyed by the enemies of your soul, Jesus has come as the good shepherd to rescue you by laying down his life for you. Again, think about the difference. The Pharisees were more than happy to just kick this guy out of Judaism because they viewed him as a threat to their power. They had no concern for this man's soul. In order to protect their position in that society, they were willing to throw this man to the wolves spiritually and in their minds, cut him off from God and condemn his soul to hell. And they were okay with that just to protect their own positions and their own power. That's not love. That's not good shepherding. That is self-protection at the cost of this man's soul. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. Instead of protecting myself at the cost of people's lives and souls, I have come as the good shepherd, the true owner of the sheep, in order to save your souls at the cost of my life. You see, that brings us back to our sentence. The Good Shepherd, as the Good Shepherd, Jesus personally knows. He goes on in verse 14 to say, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. As the Good Shepherd, God wants to have a personal relationship with his sheep. He's not contented to just own the sheep, he wants to know them. And you know, it's one thing to know about somebody. And it's another thing altogether to know that person in a relationship. For example, I know a lot about Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson, but I don't know them, right? Like I text them, they don't text me back, right? we don't have a relationship, let's put it that way. And there's a difference between knowing a lot of things about something or somebody and knowing somebody. And, And this really was pointed out to me several years ago. A friend of mine pointed this out to me, and it was a turning point in my life. You see, she showed me the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says that on the day of judgment, many people will be in for a terrible surprise. Because although they thought they did things for God and they knew a lot of stuff about God, when they stand before God, He will send them away and He'll say, Depart from me because I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And this friend of mine asked me straight up, She said, Is that you? Are you this person who knows things about God, but you don't actually have a relationship with God? And she was right. And that conversation was a turning point in my life. It's what led me to begin pursuing a relationship with God, not just knowing about him, but actually knowing him. See, the fact is, guys, God knows everything about you. He even knows the things about you that you try to keep other people from knowing about you, right? He knows all your secrets. He knows all your thoughts. All those things which you say, if anybody ever knew this about me, there's no way they could ever accept me. There's no way they could ever like me or much less love me. And yet God knows all of those things. And in spite of it, he still wants a relationship with you. Something interesting happened in February of 1925. Here's what happened. In New York City, a surgeon named Dr. Evans Keith had his appendix removed.